0: Welcome to Purpose Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your guest host, Adrienne Watasek. Today we're turning the mic around for an interview with Michael Young, who you know as your host of the Purpose Inc. podcast. Michael is also the founder and CEO of Actual Agency, a PR firm that works with organizations to develop and integrate their purpose narratives throughout their internal and external communications PR strategies and ESG reporting. Michael, it's an honor to welcome you to your own podcast.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you for hosting.
0: Absolutely. And we're also joined today by special guest Noah Miller. He's the founder and CEO of Calibrate Partners. Noah and the Calibrate team help organizations design commercially relevant ESG strategies that align with their intended corporate purpose. Noah is also a frequent speaker and lecturer on a broad range of ESG topics for academic institutions, trade associations, and civil society organizations. Noah, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey Michael, hey Adrian, great to be here.
0: Well, welcome to you both. And we have a lot to talk about today. So we can simply read some recent headlines to see how quickly the expectations around ESG are changing. There's a lot of tension that we're seeing between corporations and stakeholders, which is creating both opportunity and peril. There's this new contract between corporations and society, a big change in expectations. And it's a complex environment coupled with the inertia of greenwashing new regulatory requirements, and as we saw that U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission introduced a proposal this week to regulate the way companies report greenhouse gas emissions. So, Noah, let's start with you. It seems we already have an alphabet soup of standards and ratings, and at the same time, there are these proposals for additional reporting requirements. Can you paint the picture for us on this regulatory environment?
2: Absolutely. And in this regulatory environment, really changing on almost a daily basis with, you know, the recent SEC announcement, which you mentioned, Adrian. You know, right now you're seeing this explosion of disclosure regulations in the major economies around the world. Um, and companies are scrambling to get the internal infrastructure, the planning um, and really the the people in capacity to start plan, tracking and reporting on their ESG impacts and results. Um, and, you know, what's mucking it up even more, as you mentioned, are these whole groups of rating entities, uh, reporting frameworks, disclosure initiatives that starts to create a really messy, uh, as you mentioned, alphabet soup of what what framework do we use for reporting? What metrics do we report on? Um, and ultimately, companies are really trying to figure out what is relevant to us and our stakeholders and really what do we need to, to do about it right now? Um And you're seeing, you know, companies that are getting in front of these disclosure regulations are having a lot of strategic, reputational and operational value. And you can see that folks that are slow to the game here to start reporting on their impacts are immediately seeing the, uh, you know, facing the headwinds of these changes that are happening and these changing expectations. So it's really becoming uh, something that was peripheral to the main operations of the business. Um, now being a necessity and, and ultimately table stakes. Michael, what do you think? You know, being on the communications end of the spectrum, what are you seeing out there as it relates to the proliferation of ratings and reporting, and all these different uh, folks looking for disclosures?
1: Yeah, well, I think you know, you you nailed the the point about data <clears throat> and and fundamentally understanding what are the right metrics what are the right reporting frameworks and and having that foundation in place prior to communicating and i think if there's anything we're seeing it's organizations that are not entirely clear about materiality in their business and so they wind up communicating across a whole spectrum of issues and topics which are and, and that that those could be uh, climate related, those could be stakeholder or um, um, uh, you know so, social issues which they're, they' they they want to communicate around but aren't ready to communicate around. And so we see this, um, this breakdown between the numbers and the narrative and, and, and usually where we, you know, we see opportunity in peril as, as Adrian, you kind of outlined in your opening remarks, um, you know, we see, we see a breakdown when organizations are not clear about what's material to their business. What are the, what are the framework, the, the proper frameworks to report into? We see a lot of reporting not always uh, necessarily on things that have material impact on the business.
0: Right. And so, Michael and Noah, you know, like you talked about, we're seeing this new and evolving contract between corporations and society according to Deloitte's most recent global millennial and Gen Z survey, 87% of this population believes companies should take a stand, be part of the solution to these issues. So they feel compelled to make these commitments. But like you said, Michael, they don't always feel ready to do so. Can you speak to, uh, you know, where do we where do we start with we need to make these commitments? and, And what do we do now? Noah, what do you think on that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, today's uh, boardroom is facing a lot of difficult challenges. You're, you know, you're looking at issues like growing wealth inequality, natural resource scarcity, you know, the climate catastrophe and companies, uh, you know, stakeholders are expecting companies to not only take a stand, but actively use their business to engage and address the issue. Um, And with so many, you know, kind of uh, BHAG, big, hairy, audacious problems out there, It can feel, I think, uh, executives are struggling to identify, you know, really what's commercially relevant as it relates to our business and what is the socially impactful elements that tie back to the business and the industry and the real capabilities of the organization. Michael, you mentioned a point that I just want to revisit that's really critical. Um, Companies, you see this in the data, companies that are addressing every single issue, trying to spray everything that's good. Are not yielding the benefits, you know, operationally, financially, strategically, of ESG because they're trying to be everyone to everything all the time. So I think it's this real focus on what's material to the company operationally from a growth perspective, uh, from a, a you know core inputs or resource requirements, um, and looking at what are the you know, the broad societal challenges that speak to those those elements that are relevant to the business commercially. And, and tying that together is really where companies are getting that, you know, that real, um, you know, really real impact to the bottom line, essentially. Uh, so I think, you know, bringing it back to the millennial and Gen Z population and these expectations, it's like, if a company is does not have that Corporate say do ratio aligned around what they're standing up against, and then their actual ESG strategy and, and uh, performance. You're seeing a lot of greenwashing accusations, you know, woke washing, uh, purpose washing. You know, essentially the bait and switch of environmental, social, or governance performance. And you know, uh, folks are are getting pissed about it, are getting really upset, and it's resulting in you know real impacts to the bottom line, lost sales. Um, uh, employee attrition, uh, you know, uh, in unfavorable investor and shareholder votes. So all of these business priorities now are getting addressed by whether you are intentionally engaging on, uh, you know, these ESG issues or not. So uh, it's, it's, it's quite a challenge for the boardroom and an opportunity for differentiation and competitive, uh, you know, uh, competitive advantage in the long term. Um, I'm wondering, Michael, are you are you seeing that out there, especially with, you know, the millennial and Gen Z expectations of who they work with and who they, you know, who they patron?
1: Yeah, no, there's no question that generally generationally there is a shift and consumers and employees are now making decisions about. The brands they're going to be loyal to, and the companies they want to work for, for decades to come. And without without question, um, organizations are either moving in the right direction and getting this right, or they're back footed or flat footed in terms of their either their strategy or their response. And only yesterday we saw. Disney come out against uh, the Florida law, uh, the "Don't Say Gay" law, after a lot of internal um, movement and and employees walking out. And I think the thing to remember here is that there is now asymmetric power that did not exist even a few years ago, Um, and employees are particularly have particular. power and agency now that they didn't have a few years ago. And we could look at, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Facebook is an example and, and the, the actual, if, if you go back to the, um, the Facebook papers that, uh, Francis Haugen gave to the wall street journal, um, that had a huge impact, but it hasn't had the same impact as, uh, employee voice, uh, or as 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 moms are now starting to look at the well being of their children and their daughters in particular, and seeing that Instagram is toxic to uh, the mindset of a young girl, that is that is having huge impact on on the behavior and the conduct of. Of, of that organization and others. So employees and, and consumers have this asymmetric power. They can boycott, they can protest, uh, and, the, and the currency and the speed at which those kinds of things can impact the boardroom have never been greater. We saw uh, the, the, the letter um, that the McKinsey uh, folks wrote uh, the McKinsey employees wrote to leadership about McKinsey's work for fossil fuels as an example of employees having that asymmetric power. So I think that's going to continue, and and it does seem as if this is this is not going to change. This is definitely not going to change. Um, it's gonna it's gonna stay this way for uh, some time
0: and and so michael you brought up a few examples there with disney and you know mckenzie talking about fossil fuel um you know and so they're they're kind of these usual suspects in the oil and gas industry and now we're seeing this expansion to boardrooms and c-suites across the country where you know they're accused of saying one thing about diversity and inclusion while apparently not looking within But what if we think about the companies that are getting this right? Are there some examples we can point to for the corporations who are really doing what they say they're going to do?
1: Yeah, and by no means an exhaustive list, but just the few folks that some of the folks we've had on the podcast here um, that are truly trying to align their, their business practices with their sustainability commitments uh across esg um, whether that's on the environment uh on the workforce side um or or within how uh and and the governance issue which used to be dominant is now sort of a you know less so because of environmental and social but the key governance um uh, factor there is employee compensation, or I'm sorry, executive compensation, tied to achieving ESG goals, and and perhaps one of the exemplars is Starbucks and what that board has done in tying executive compensation. But there are others, and and folks that we've talked to, Oshkosh Corporation, maker of Fire trucks and ambulances has really looked at next generation vehicles that are electrified. So you think of a, an ambulance that's now electrified. Uh, they're they're building those kinds of of vehicles of the future. Chipotle, a great example. Um, somebody we uh, a company we had on the podcast that's looking at not just the the nutritional value of the food that they serve. But looking up into animal welfare, animal health, they're also looking at at how small farmers, smallholder farmers that they do business with, how are they enabling the next generation of farmer? Uh, looking at food waste and 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 food waste and and their waste stream entirely holistically. Um, you meant we mentioned, um, um, you know. Uh, McKinsey and, and a services firm. But you look at a company like Deloitte that's really pushed very strongly into some of these workforce issues. They're counseling clients on how to do this right and how to do it well. Uh, and then finally, uh, a company like uh, like HP, uh, both from a DEI and a diversity and inclusion standpoint, Really getting it right, Leslie Slayton Brown, uh, a leader there, and um, and also looking at, at at plastic waste. They produce a lot of HP produces a lot of products that have that are made from plastic, and they've really taken a stand in terms of how they're recycling the products that come out of their business. So it is really truly this alignment between the business practice. And the sustainability. So making sure those two things are connected.
0: And Michael, maybe we need to go ahead and address the proverbial elephant in the room, if you will. So, you know, critics are arguing that that PR and marketing are part of the greenwashing and, and purpose washing problem. CNBC published a piece last month, and and the headline just struck me, PR firms are facing a backlash for greenwashing big oil, and the pressure on them is growing. And they really didn't bury the lead on this one. They opened with the public relations industry has a PR problem. And the article goes on to accuse PR firms and ad agencies of obstructing climate action by spreading disinformation on behalf of their clients. So we just talked about some, some companies that are doing this well, Others are trying to do this well from a PR uh, standpoint in terms of saying that they're doing these things, but uh, you know now PR agencies are being accused of being part of that problem. So this is your industry. How do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, there's there's no question that uh, big firms who have long histories of working with oil and gas and extractive industries have participated in, enabled, and in fact, driven misinformation about climate. There's absolutely no question there. And, um, and there is a backlash. Um, um uh, uh, Duncan Mizell of clean creatives has done incredible work here in, uh, getting agencies to sign the pledge. Um, and I, we definitely want to have Duncan on the pod, um, and Christina Reina um, from uh, Generous Films, who was a former uh, EVP at Edelman, and has has been on the on the forefront of calling out um, PR firms and ad agencies, uh, and none of them have really done anything of substance. To be clear, none of the big holding companies, WPP, Omnicom, uh, IPG. Or Edelman, which is the largest independent um, public relations firm, have really owned up to their role. Edelman's whole kabuki theater around—they're going to evaluate what they're doing, and then they're going to make—they're going to make some commitments. It's—it's—it's it's, it's absolute nonsense. Um, they cannot. They're addicted to the. Uh, the oil and gas industries from a revenue standpoint, they get a huge amount of their income from there and they just can't give it up. Uh, and and none of them are willing to take anything remotely, remotely resembling a stand. Uh, and that's really unfortunate because, and, and again, they're, they're going to run up against this same problem that we were just talking about with McKinsey employees and 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 other organizations, they're going to run into this, which are, and Facebook is having this problem. People are not going to want to work for them and they're not going to want to work on this business. And, and, um, you know, and I, I could probably go on all day about, um, the PR industry and its lack of, of, of sort of a moral compass, but they're going to, they're going to find it harder and harder to recruit, uh, talent in the future if they stick to these kind of hidebound ways of thinking about their business. And if they don't take a stand, others, others with asymmetric power, clients and employees are going to do the work for them. So end of sermon there, but.
0: Now, and, you know, so whether it's a PR agency speaking on behalf of their clients or whether it's the companies themselves you know, they, they want to make these commitments. They want, a lot of them want to be a force for good, but there are all these missteps in, in making these commitments and knowing whether they can actually achieve them. Noah, can you speak to that a bit? So when, when these companies make commitments, how can they know how much to share, when to share that information? Can you talk to that a bit?
2: Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's definitely such a key challenge for organizations that, you know, are being expected to address all of these complex challenges. Um, employees are speaking up more than ever, as Michael mentioned, uh, you know, uh, things that are happening on the other side of the world in your supply chain, which would never have been relevant or even, you know, people to know about these things uh, a few years back now can create, you know, brand cancellation uh, when one supplier is a bad actor within your supply chain. So ultimately, some of the key you know key steps that companies can take to um, avoid making commitments they can't keep is to have a science based approach to setting these targets, and ultimately making sure that their materiality assessment, defining what issues are relevant to the business and of most uh, relevance to their stakeholders, that these are aligned with some actual baselining on their current state state their starting point right where are we beginning so that all these future commitments can be made with a level of sophistication um, based on the starting point you know when when you think of going on a diet you know you need to know where you're starting to know where you can reduce so it's no different across these esg issues that if you don't know the your current emissions footprint how can you reliably set 35%, 35%, uh, you know, emission, uh, targets for our absolute emissions by 2025 and then net zero by 20, you know, 2030, it's kind of like putting your finger up to the air at this point without that level of baselining the current state, looking at your ESG strategy and how it's integrated into the daily oper- operations of the business and seeing through modeling, how are you going to be able to advance, uh, you know, these commitments, uh, based on your current work so really just having that same level of sophistication around uh, financial modeling or you know strategic planning bringing that same level of focus and methodology to ESG commitment setting and strategic planning so you know back to the to the, to the key point ESG is just business at this point it's the ultimate litmus test of management effectiveness in 2022 and soon, I think we'll see that ESG uh, is no, rele- no, no longer this sort of woke, amorphous, you know, new age concept. It's just business because we're reacting to changing ex- expectations of the, the people we rely on and changing business conditions on the ground. Um, but what do you think, Michael? You know, what, 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 what are you seeing out there in terms of um, what companies can do to make sure they're not getting themselves in hot water?
1: well i think we've been talking about it which is this alignment between what what's being said and what's being done that's really it it just comes down to collapsing the say do ratio and it goes back to materiality and and focus on and talk about and measure the things that matter to the business whether that is supply chain or labor practices Um, And I think there's got to be alignment and, um, you know, saying that you're for, um, you know, your employees, but you lobby against um, you lobby for certain tax advantages for the corporation or you lobby against certain worker safety provisions that that's those gaps between what an organization is saying, what it's actually doing are, are are coming to light with increasing frequency. So there's no, there, there's really no hiding and, and the daylight and daylight is being shined upon, uh, these issues, whether those are from external forces, uh, like regulators from private capital, which is essentially <clears throat> the new regulatory environment, uh, investors and are, are very much regulating, uh, corporate conduct, um, but I also think it's you know it's it's ultimately being genuine and authentic and not not using uh, sustainability to quote Allison Taylor as the paramilitary wing of the marketing department, where all you're doing is attempting to mitigate risk, avoid lawsuits, um keep everyone out of your um, you know, sort of out of your business, and that's just not going to work. Um, ultimately, it has to be this connection between the what, how the business operates, and then being honest about the 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 negative and positive externalities that the business creates as a business, and those are those are real. We can't get away from them, <clears throat> but we but they have to be priced. Whether and whether that's um, greenhouse gas emissions, or that is how we are lobbying for or against certain regulations, those are externalities that a business um, generates. And, and and organizations and leadership just need to be honest about what those are.
0: And it, it seems what we're talking about here is kind of that, that force for good, that purpose of the business. And, you know, Michael talking about this can't be the paramilitary wing of the business, you know, focused on ESG and and focused on avoiding the bad things, the lawsuits, the accusations of greenwashing. Noah, can you speak a little bit about how do we integrate purpose and ESG into the business?
2: And that's such a great question, Adrian, and I'm glad you raised it. Um, you know, right now you are seeing, you know, uh, the most skeptical sort of group of consumers that we've had so far in terms of, you know, uh, corporate commentary around all natural, you know, sustain, sustainable, good for the earth, uh, social impact, all these words that are um, are a bit arbitrary and loaded depending on who you're talking to. So right now, you know, the best sort of actors or examples are really connecting the ESG operational practices and the outcomes of those practices and the impact that the products and services have on their customers as their intended corporate purpose, you know, and really connecting those dots between their operations, the products and services, the way they run the business, and how those outcomes of those collective activities relate back to some broader, you know, uh, societal goal, whether it be a UN sustainable development goal or, you know, something um, generated by the, you know, by the, by the stakeholder groups, by the employee base and the workforce around the, you know, the systemic impacts of their operations, products, and services on their their stakeholders, on the environment, on broader society. So, um, you know, it's back to that, you know, that core theme that we've been reiterating around aligning that corporate say-do ratio, so that if you say these issues are critical to our business and it's important to, to our stakeholders, our corporate purpose ultimately needs to be connected back to those commitments. Um, you know, the uh, uh, an oil and gas company that is, uh, their corporate purpose is to, you know, be the best uh, energy provider to their customers. Well, that's just business at this point, being the best for your customers. You know, stakeholders are expecting a, a much more compelling, um, legitimate and, and technically accurate corporate purpose that, again, ties back to the company's identified material issues and what they're doing about it. Uh, what do you think, Michael, though, you know, being, uh, you know, deep in the corporate purpose space, speaking to so many purpose thought leaders, what, what are you seeing out there as it relates to the connection between purpose and ESG?
1: <clears throat> well, and you, you know, I I think the um the 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 much sort of misquoted and misaligned uh, uh, um paper from Milton Friedman. Um, I think ultimately we've 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 seen a reset in what it is, what is the purpose of a corporation. That's really what we're talking about the new the new social contract between. Society and corporations, and I think ESG is is are the guardrails and and the way that organizations will increasingly be measured, managed. I like what you said about um, you know this this is the litmus test of leadership and management going forward, and I think that's a, a, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I think there are. You know, organizations whose purpose is never going to be truly aligned with ESG. They can just do a little better. Uh, but I think there are a lot of organizations who, if they internalize the measures and the metrics of, of ESG into their business, will start to reevaluate the business they're in, who they serve, why they serve those particular stakeholders, and it—I it, I, don't—I don't know that there's a uniform answer. It's going to be different for an airline manufacturer, a consumer package goods company, a professional services firm, a restaurant chain, um, a maker of computer hardware and peripherals. It's going to be different for each of those. But I think what ESG does at a minimum is. Helps translate corporate purpose into a way to think about how's this business doing as it relates to aligning with a broader set of stakeholders beyond just capital and shareholders.
0: Well, Michael, Noah, we could certainly talk about this topic for days, but unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here. Thank you so much for the conversation today.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world. More at www.actual.agency.